Greetings and salutations. What is up, everybody? ESK, Friday, June 23rd, part one of the Friday Double Dip here on Keyboard Kimura. The UFC Jacksonville Punch Drunk Predictions. Getting them to you nice and early because we are just about 24 hours away, as of the time of my recording this, from the start of the show. UFC Jacksonville, UFC on ABC 5, UFC Emmett versus Tapuria. However you would like to name it, however you would like to describe it, takes place, kicks off at 8.30 Pacific time here on the West Coast of Canada on ESPN in the States, ESPN Plus as well. TSN Fight Pass, I believe, is where it's going to start here in Canada. We're going to be done before the evening. You're going to get to have a summer Saturday to do with what you please. So we're going to dive in bright and early, get it kicked off. But before we do, before we get to this week's picks, we have to go to last week, UFC Vegas 75. Do the quick recap. So seven and four with one no contest with the picks. That's a 0.583 win percentage. It's okay. I Eight and four would have been nicer. It's cleaner. Would have liked it more. The no contest is what it is. That would have been a loss if it wasn't overturned, and so we'll take that. So since the return to Keyboard Kimura, 37-22 and zero with one no contest for a .617 win percentage. Not bad. Certainly not where I want to be. And overall for the year, which is every event save for two thus far. Sorry, three because I skipped UFC Vancouver because I was busy. 118-87-3 with one no contest, a .565 win percentage. Not where I want to be. I certainly want to be higher than that. I certainly always am aiming for that 0.700 win percentage, which I know is a lofty number and a a difficult number to achieve. But if we're not going to be out here trying to do difficult things, what's the point of being out here? Same Same as my constant of what's the point of being out here making picks if you're not going to tell everybody your record. And that's not a... That's not a shot at anybody. It's just my philosophy, right? If I'm going to be on here giving you guys advice, giving you people thoughts and ideas and picks, I should at least tell you how I've been doing for the course of the year. And thus far this year, it's been okay. It hasn't been great. It hasn't been as good as I want it to be. But I hope that turns around this weekend in Jacksonville at the Star Veterans Memorial Arena. We start in the main event, Josh Emma versus Ilya Tapuria. My pick is Ilya Tapuria. I will start, though, by saying that Josh Emmett is a very live underdog here. He is a guy with a ton of power. We saw last week in the Armin Saryukin Joaquin Silva fight that if you are careless in the pocket or engage and stay in the pocket for far too long with a big hitter, even if you are an overwhelming favorite, you could get put on roller skates. And that is a very real possibility here, especially early in the fight. Josh Emmett carries a lot of power. He has the conditioning. He has the cardio and the pop to, to carry that power throughout the fight. This is, as Emmett said to me last week, for a story that's up on the UFC website, this is Tapuria's first five-round fight in the UFC. It's his first main event. Ton of attention, ton of pressure. All the everything is on his shoulders this week. And so I do think Emmett is a live dog here. That being said, skill for skill, totality of abilities, I think Ilya Tapuria is the far better fighter. I honestly think his assessment of himself that he is the best featherweight in the world isn't far off. I think he is an elite contender. I think he is an elite talent. And the fact that he's only 26 now, still undefeated and still not yet quite into what we consider someone's physical athletic prime 
is a scary thing, right? I talk about this all the time. You look at UFC champions, save for a couple, they're all in their 30s. They're all in their early 30s. And it's only after a few years of being in the UFC that they got to that championship point. By that measure, Tapuri is ahead of the game because he's been in the UFC for a couple of years, 5-0, and oh, four straight finishes. But he's also still got all that room to grow and develop and build and learn and bring the experience over top of the talent and the natural abilities. And I think that's what we're going to see in the years to come. I think on Saturday, what we're going to see is a diverse attack. I think he's going to look to get inside, use his wrestling, use his grappling, not necessarily in the same way that Yair Rodriguez did in that he's going to be looking for triangles off bottom or anything like that. I think it'll be more akin to the Bryce Mitchell fight where it'll be looking to work from top position, looking for those arm triangles, looking for those chokes maybe looking for for something with an arm, an arm bar, a Kimura, something like that. Because I think you seriously neutralize Josh Emmett and you take away a lot of what he does well if you put him on his back. And as much as Josh Emmett does have wrestling, he should have relatively good takedown defense. I think Tapuria is going to be able to get inside, to get him to the canvas, to work trips, to work body lock takedowns and get to advantageous positions. I don't know if he finishes. As much as we saw Emmett coming off a finish, getting finished last time out, I should say, he's not a guy that you necessarily, I mean, he's got three losses. And so it's hard to say, ah, oh, this is a guy that just gets finished. Yes, he's been finished in two of those. One is to Jeremy Stevens, who hit him with a hellacious bunch of shots and put him out. The other was in February against Yair Rodriguez, who is a world-class talent. I think Tapuri is on that level, but I don't know that he goes out and finishes. I do believe he gets a victory moves to 14 and 0, moves to 6 and 0 in the UFC and then gets on the microphone and calls for a championship opportunity. As I told you early in the week, he and I spoke about it on Tuesday and he said, "Look, I'm going to 290, excuse me, International Fight Week in Vegas. I want to watch my next opponent front and center. I think there's a case for him to be the next championship contender if Alexander Volkanovsky wins the belt, whether that's fighting for a vacant title cuz Volk decides to go up to lightweight permanently." or facing Volkanovsky maybe later in the year in Sydney, that could be a really interesting opportunity and a chance for Volkanovsky to go out of the division, to exit the division on top at home. That would be really cool. Big win for Taporia. Think he calls for a title shot. Think he gets it. We'll see what happens. Next up, Amanda Hebos and Macy Barber. My pick here is Amanda Hebos. I just think the overall weaponry is better for Amanda Hebos than it is for Macy Barber. For Barber to succeed here, she needs to make this a grimy fight. She needs to get inside, keep Amanda Hebos pinned to the fence, drag her to the canvas, stay on top of her in top position, probably side control, top half, something like that, where she's just mashing away with elbows. She's not looking for finishes. She's not looking to advance because all of those things create opportunities for Amanda Hebos to throw up submission attempts, to sweep, or just to simply work back to her feet. Whereas if Macy Barber is just focused on shoulder pressure, top pressure, smashing home little shots, she can grind out rounds and maybe get a victory. But I think this ends up being very similar to Macy Barber's fight with Alexa Grasso, where she just can't match Amanda Hebos on the feet, and Hebos is happy to keep it there. Happy to stay standing, 
work kicks, work the boxing that we saw is continuing to improve. She looked good, beat Viviani Araujo on the feet last time out. I think she's able to do the same here. If it does get to the ground, she's certainly a good grappler capable of hunting for and, and potentially locking up a submission. I don't necessarily think that happens. She hasn't been someone that has been out really chasing things. Barbara is good enough, sound enough, smart enough to not leave limbs available. Her two losses are by decision. And so I think this is Amanda Hebos just showing she's a little bit further ahead than Barbara, which to me is completely understandable, right? Amanda Hebos is 29. Macy Barber is 25. Yes, they have the same overall number of fights. I believe Hebos has one more, but they're just at different levels of their career. They're just at different stages of their career. Hebos has fought slightly more experienced competition. She's faced slightly better competition. This is going to be a measuring stick fight for Macy Barber. I think she comes out of this still looking good, even if she loses. I think this isn't is going to be one of those fights where we watch her continue to progress. It'll look better than the Alexa Grasso fight where she looked bad. Quite frankly, she looked bad. I think she's grown since then. I think she looks better here, but I do think Amanda Hebos gets the job done. Move to the heavyweights, Austin Lane coming home to Jacksonville where he played for the Jaguars for a number of years against Justin Taffa. My pick here is Justin Taffa and it's as simple as level of competition. That sounds weird given that Justin Taffa is in my estimation, a bottom half kind of lower third heavyweight in the UFC, a guy that's kind of going to win the fights that he's won these last couple against Parker Porter and Harry Hunsucker and struggle in some other ones, right? He's lost some fights to guys that aren't great heavyweights, just to be quite frank and honest about things. But Austin Lane hasn't faced anybody either. And so for all of the wins and all of the consecutive finishes that he carries into Saturday, I think this is a situation where two guys go out throwing hammers, whoever lands hardest first puts the other one down, and my money's on Taffa because I know he can take a shot pretty well. We've seen it a few times. He's got that big Australian head. He can take shots. And I think he's going to be able to take a couple of shots here and land a couple in return. Austin Lane, for all of his positive physical characteristics, 6'5", former defensive end, as I talked about, great athlete, clearly has power. He's putting guys away on the regional circuit doesn't necessarily have the same speed, doesn't necessarily have the same striking sort of just fluidity that we've seen from Taffa. We've seen Taffa put people out with high kicks. We've seen Taffa put people out with quick inside counter shots. I think that's what we see here. I think they meet in the center. It doesn't take long. They throw bombs. They get after it. And I think Taffa leaves Austin Lane looking up at the lights, spoiling his return to Jacksonville and his UFC debut. Featherweight division, David Onama and Gabriel Santos like this fight, really intrigued by this fight. My pick is Gabriel Santos, and it's simply a recent efforts sort of pick. Gabriel Santos lost his debut to Lerone Murphy by split decision. It was a super competitive fight. He looked very good against the guy that I think highly of in Lerone Murphy, who was undefeated in his career, undefeated in the UFC and is somebody that we should be talking about more in the featherweight division and should be getting bigger opportunities than the ones before him right now at featherweight. 
David Onama, on the other hand, comes off a majority decision loss to Nate Landwehr in a fight that was absolute chaos, just completely bonkers for 15 minutes. Both guys exhausted. Both guys took a beating, gave out some really good shots, had the other hurt at times, but it just felt like such a chaotic fight and such a poor technical performance that I'm going to side with the Brazilian. Now I want to put some caveats here. I think David Onama moving to factory X and working with Mark Montoya and the crew there is a good, good shift given he had to move somewhere as a guy that was at glory MMA and fitness in, in Missouri with, with James Krause. It's obviously a, a connected sort of gym. They've worked together in the past. It's a good spot for him to be. He's going to get good, clean striking instruction which all could work well. This could be a fight where we see a great deal of growth from David Onama, who I think highly of as a young talent, but need to see the progression from. He's in that space now where I can't just bet on the young talent. It's I need to see the results of it. And so my pick is Santos. This to me is a coin flip fight. It's a very close fight. I would not at all be surprised to see David Onama come out and look good but I need to see it. I need to see the improved gas tank. I need to see the improved sort of understanding and ability to not throw himself into exhaustion, to not work himself into a, now I've got a bank on being able to get through 10 minutes, five minutes, whatever it may be while the gas tank's running on empty. Main card opener in the middleweight division, Brendan Allen versus Bruno Silva. My pick here is Brendan Allen comes in on the best run of success of his career in the UFC off a submission win over Andre Muniz. He was supposed to be headlining against Jack Hermanson earlier in the year that fell through because the Joker got hurt. He lands here against Silva. It is a dangerous fight. As I've said all week, this is the moment historically where Brendan Allen stumbles, but I don't think we will see it. I think those losses to Sean Strickland and Chris Curtis really set him in place and gave him a better understanding of all the things he needs to do in preparation for these fights in terms of getting ready and getting himself dialed in. We haven't seen the same sort of overconfidence and careless mistakes that have led to that led to those losses. We've seen a much more patient and focused in terms of playing to his strengths in those matchups approach from Brendan Allen as he's gotten through Muniz and Chris Jotko and Sam Alvey. And there was somebody else in there that I can't remember right now off the top of my head. Silva is dangerous. He can crack. We saw it last time out against Brad Tavares. But I think one of the big sort of positives here for Brendan Allen is that Silva's last loss came against Gerald Mearshart, who is a longtime training partner and friend of Brendan Allen, both from the Rufus Sport days and now down at Killcliffe FC. He will understand these are the spots you need to get to. These are the things you need to do. And I think we see Brendan Allen kind of follow a GM3 game plan with a little bit of elevated athleticism and power and speed and all of those things. This is a really good opportunity for him. It's it's interesting because it is both a great opportunity and a big risk opportunity. He's worked his way into the top 15. He was, as I said, set to headline. Those are big achievements. You can't overlook this guy but he could also go out and absolutely shine. I think he gets the victory, runs it to five straight wins, 
looks for a top 10 opponent after this, and we get the best of BA in the second half of the year. It's the punch drunk predictions for UFC Jacksonville on keyboard Kimura Hayami Spencer Kite. We move to the prelims, which are closed out in the welterweight division by a mirror match between Neil Magny and Phil Rowe, two dudes that have the same reach, have the same height, have the same sort of general approach. And my pick here is Neil Magny. And this is just siding with the veteran. This is siding with the guy that I have seen go out in these spots more often than not and get the job done. It's not a critique of Phil Rowe. Phil Rowe can certainly win this fight. I, again, would not be surprised to see there be a passing of the torch here. That was my question earlier in the week and one question. Will we see it? Is this the point where Phil Rowe takes over as the new Neil Magny, guy with an 80-inch reach, standing big and tall in the welterweight division? It could be. I don't think it will be because I look at Neil Magny and, well, some folks will say, well, he's just got one win in his last three fights. Okay, but he lost to Gilbert Burns and Shavkat Rachmanov, and I can't fault him for that. Those are two fighters that are in the top 10 in the division, maybe even top five in the division, just in terms of actual skill, not ranking. And he can't fault a guy for losing to them. In between, he came out and finished Daniel Rodriguez. And maybe you want to counter and say, yeah, well, Ian Gary finished him quicker. And, and that's what happened. I just, this is one of those fights to me where it's, look, I, I know I've seen Neil Magny go out there and win these fights. And I think he is, the smarter overall fighter. I've seen Phil Rowe sort of slowly get into fights, whereas Neil Magny comes out, and from the jump, he's on the jab. From the jump, he's on those long-range kicks. They won't necessarily work as well or be as effective as offensive and defensive weapons at the same time because he's not going to be keeping Phil Rowe at the end and outside because Phil Rowe has the same range but they're going to be effective because he can come out and get on Phil Rowe early. Phil Rowe is a slow starter. We've seen that throughout his career. And I think Neil Magny can go out and just put a pace on him from the jump as he has done so many times in the past and go out and show I'm not done yet. I'm not ready to hand off to this guy. That's got all the same characteristics of me, but none of the experience, none of the savvy, none of the understanding Neil Magny gets it done adds another win to his record-setting number of wins in the welterweight division, and we go forward. We stay, though, in the welterweight division. Randy Brown welcomes Wellington Terman. My pick here is Randy Brown. I said earlier in the week that I think this is a fight that shows Wellington Terman's issue wasn't weight class. It's just overall skill. It's overall abilities. And I think this is a fight where Randy Brown just goes out and uses all of that range that he has, all of that length, all of the diverse weaponry that he has to overpower and, and outwork a guy that we haven't seen a lot from. Like three and four in the middleweight division, there were a couple of good wins. One of them was the Hail Mary armbar against Misha Serkinov. It just hasn't been great from Wellington Terman. And while Randy Brown has certainly topped out at a certain point, outside of that top 15, very much a second 15 guy, Again, I can't fault somebody for losing to Jack Della Maddalena, who I think the world of. Outside of that, he had won a bunch of fights in a row, and he's shown in fights against guys that I think, quite frankly, are better than Wellington Terman, that he knows how to manage fights, which is a big thing that we don't, I don't think we talk about enough. Randy Brown knows how to manage 
situations and fights as a whole. He goes out, he uses that range, he throws those kicks up the middle, throws a ton of leg kicks, throws that long jab, and knows how to just come out and put pressure and pace and volume on guys to chip away and chip away and chip away and make sure he's scoring points and winning rounds, winning moments in rounds, winning segments of rounds, so that when you get through to the end of five minutes, Randy Brown's done more in that round, and you go, yep, that's a Randy Brown round, 10-9. Away we go. I think that's what we see here. I don't think we get a finish necessarily, but I think Randy Brown shows his class, shows that Wellington Terman isn't on this level, isn't at his station in the welterweight division. Maybe he gets another shot against somebody a little bit further down in the rankings to see if he can stick. But I think Randy Brown looks really good in this one and gets himself a victory. Move to lightweight. Mateusz Rombetsky against Loik Radzibov. Radzibov missed weight this morning by a couple of pounds. He has given up 20% of his purse and the fight moves forward. My pick is Radzibov and it was my pick beforehand. The weight miss didn't change anything for me. It didn't suddenly make me decide, oh, I want to pick Radzibov because I don't think weight cutting is crazy. As Harry would say, fuck weight cutting. I liked Radzibov going in one based on the overall experience, the level of competition he's faced, knowing what he's capable of. And two, because I wasn't particularly impressed with Rombetsky in his debut against Nick Fiore. Now I understand that it was a short notice replacement. You got to be a little careful about a guy like that in in Nick Fiore, who is a jujitsu black belt, who does have some abilities and was able to defend well on the ground. But it wasn't one of those showings to me where I was really moved to get behind Rombetsky, who looked very good on the contender series. But again, it's that level of competition. You look at the guys that Radzibov has faced. And even if you want to say, well, he's lost to all of them, he's been in there with the best the PFL has to offer. And now I don't think the PFL top guys in the PFL are necessarily on par with the top guys in the UFC, but I think they're in that second 15 through to 50 in this division. Cause there's about a hundred fighters in the lightweight division. And I'm not sure how Rombetsky would do against those guys. I don't think he does any better. I think we see Radzibov come out and be able to dictate the terms of engagement in this one and be the better wrestler and have the better hands and get himself a victory. He's an underdog in this one. I think the weight miss is going to be something to certainly watch. Is it a case of the cut was terrible and the gas tank therefore isn't there and this starts getting dicey the later we go. But one of the things that sort of wards me against that or, or bolsters me in my opinion and in my pick of Radzibov in that is that Rombetsky looked terrible late in the fight with Nick Fiore. As we got into the second and third round, he just kept going down. And if he hasn't corrected that, if he hasn't addressed that, then Radzibov running out of gas and running on fumes isn't going to be an issue. There's also always, and I do say this just as saying it for the sake of saying it, not making any accusations, there is always the possibility that this was, I'm not going to get there, so we're done. We're not putting in the extra stress. We're not killing my body. I'll give up that 20%. I'll go out and get my win bonus. That'll lessen that blow, and away we go. As I said, I was taking Radzibov before weigh-ins. I'm taking Radzibov now. I think he is just able to out-hustle Mateusz Rombetsky on Saturday. 
Strawweight division, Tabitha Ricci and Jillian Robertson. My pick here is Ricci. I think she is the more complete of the two. I think she has the more paths to victory. For me, Jillian Robertson needs to be in top position in order to have any success. And the thing that I think is going to make her struggle here and show her struggle here as I take a big, long pregnant pause is that Robertson is very deliberate in things. As good as she is on the ground, she is very mechanical in her setups. And I would love to get Harry on to talk about this. And and I'm sure we have in the past, but she just, everything she does, I can sit at home and know where she's going two steps in advance. And I have zero jujitsu experience. I have zero grappling experience and I can see the progressions and what she's working to and setting up. And those movements and those executions are all for my estimation, for my opinion, slower than they need to be more static than they need to be. The finish of Piero Rodriguez was a good finish, but we saw it coming. That has been the case in many of these instances. Now she gets full marks for finishing all of these fights that she's finished. Most submission wins of any female fighter in UFC history. So you can't take that away from her, but against a legit black belt, like Tabitha Ricci against somebody that is able to match her, if not exceed her on the ground, those deliberate and sort of prolonged setups are going to be difficult to get into because Ricci will know where to go and what to do and how to defend and what to do to get out of those situations on the feet. I think Ricci is slightly better than Robertson. I don't think it's by a great amount. She's getting a little better in her striking. Robertson really hasn't come along in her striking development, despite being in the UFC for a number of years and working with good coaches for a number of years. We haven't really seen that progression. And so I think Ricci is able to go out, control things when they are on the feet, do well on the ground, probably put Robertson on her back. Robertson will probably be willing to accept that position, which I think will be a mistake. And so I see the baby shark getting a fourth straight win, continuing to move forward in the strawweight division. I hope much like with Rombetsky and Radzibov that we just get a ton of grappling. I just want to see, as I said earlier in the week, give me a couple no-gi grappling matches in the center of the octagon where I get to just sit on a Saturday morning as the sun's coming up, relax with my dog and a cup of coffee and watch really great scrambles and really great attack and defend chess games on the canvas. I know not everybody's going to like them, but I can only account for myself and I would love it. Want to see it? Let's go. Flyweight division, Jalgis Jumagulov versus Joshua Van. My pick here is Jumagulov. I think this is simply a case of the way more experienced fighter against the guy that has never faced anybody at this level. To Joshua Van's credit, stepping up, jumping in against the guy with loads of experience, but he's barely faced guys that have five fights, yet alone somebody like Jumagulov, who has six fights in the UFC and close to 30 fights overall. As much as, and I've said this every time I talk about Jumagulov, because I think it bears repeating, as much as he is one in five in the UFC, we need to scrutinize that record more. We need to scrutinize those fights more to get to who this guy actually is. The last two losses are both by split decision. You can make a case for them going the other way. If that's the case, he comes into this one on the three-fight winning streak. 
and he's three and two in the UFC, not one and five. Even if one of them go the other way, two and four is certainly better than one and five. He's just better than that record indicates. To me, by far, by a great margin, right? Losing to Manel Cape, what are you going to do? Cape's a top 10 dude. Split decision to Jeff Molina that even Jeff Molina was surprised about. Think the judges got that one wrong. Charles Johnson, close fight. It goes the way it goes. Those are coin flips. They happen. Jumagulov, to me, is the better overall fighter. I think he gets an opportunity to show that here, to really show out. This feels very similar to me to his win over Jerome Rivera, where he goes out and just puts it on Joshua Van pretty quickly, pretty early, pretty dominant performance. Jumagulov for the win. Move to the lightweight ranks, Trevor Peak versus Chepe Marichal. My pick here is Trevor Peak. I mean, right now it's kind of difficult I, in this level of matchup for me to pick against the unbeaten guy that throws bombs and is facing somebody that is going to happily be in that situation and has suffered losses in those situations. Chepe is a guy that has been on the regional scene for a long time. He He's faced a bunch of good competition on the regional circuit. He's beaten a couple of them. He's lost to a couple of them. But he feels like that's kind of where he belongs. And I don't say that in a like disparaging manner. But I think we as analysts and we as observers of this sport need to stop doing the like, hey, I'm so happy it's long overdue that Chepe got here and acknowledge that it's not really If he was meant to get here, if he was good enough to get here, he would have gotten here earlier and he would have gotten here not on short notice. Now, that doesn't mean that Trevor Peak is some terrific fighter. As I said earlier in the week, this is a dude whose style is meet me at the bike racks. I'm just going to throw bombs. There's not a lot of technique to it. But he's got enough power and enough rawness and enough physicality and pressure that I think he gets Chepe out of there that he gets another victory, that he moves to 9-0, that he keeps the finishing streak going, and we get some total chaos early in the morning. Like, madness before 10 o'clock inside the octagon? Sign me up. I'm in for it. I'm here for it. Move to the featherweight division. Jamal Emmers versus Jack Jenkins. Jamal Emmers missed weight this morning by a couple of pounds. Fight continues on. Same thing as the Radzibov-Rombitsky fight. Forfeits and purse, away we go. My pick before that was Jack Jenkins. My pick now is Jack Jenkins. I think Jenkins is better than he showed against Don Shanus. And I think we see that on Saturday. I think this is the moment where he gets to come out and have a, okay, this is this is why the Australian contingent has been excited to see Farjack in the UFC. He looked okay against Don Shanus. It wasn't great. He did all the things that he needed to do to ensure that he got a victory in his UFC debut at home in Australia, big pressure, even though he said there wasn't. Now he's here. Now he's settled. Now he gets a guy that struggled to make weight. And the one thing, so the reason Jack Jenkins' nickname is Far Jack, Far Lap, was a racehorse that was great at racing these long distances and having this great late surge. And Jack Jenkins, when he was early in his career, was known for his conditioning, has always been known for his conditioning. And his coaches said, you're kind of like Farlap. You can just keep going and going and going. Here we go. Now you give me a guy that struggled to make weight and a guy that wants to push the pace in Jack Jenkins and force Jamal Emmers to wrestle and defend and deal with all kinds of problems. This feels like a moment where Jack Jenkins is going to be able to shine. I think that's what we see. 
I could be wrong. Jamal Emmers is a very dangerous opponent. Like so many others on this card, he is a live, he is a live pick here. He's he's the favorite going in. Jenkins is the underdog. Certainly deserving of being a favorite given what he's done as of late and overall in the totality of his career. But I do think this is a fight that Jenkins can come out and win and show that he is better than that debut performance. I think this is the moment where we get to see the best of Jack Jenkins on Saturday. Shift to the flyweight division, my guy, Taruto, Taruto, Tatsuro Tyra against Clayton Rodriguez. Rodriguez missed weight for this fight by a few pounds. Again, it carries on. Doesn't change anything for me. I was picking Tyra early. I was picking Tyra late. I am picking Tyra now. I think this kid is the goods. 23 years old, undefeated, 3-0 in the UFC, back-to-back submission wins. I think he just comes out and continues to show that he is really quite good. And maybe somebody we need to be talking about, not maybe somebody, definitely somebody we need to be talking about alongside Muhammad Makayev as a world-class elite prospect at 125 pounds. Makayev has the amateur record and the hype and the buzz and the build. Tyra has none of that, but he's showing in the cage. He's doing the things that we actually want to see from Makayev, right? Who has gone out and kind of fucked around a little bit against Malcolm Gordon, put himself in some rough spots in a, in a tough fight against Jafel Filo last time out, got his leg all jacked up before finally getting him out of there. Meanwhile, Tyra's just gone out and through each fight, he's gotten better. Decision against Carlos Candelario, second round stoppage win over CJ Vergara, First round submission win over Jesus Aguilar. Doesn't mean that it's going to always continue on that way. And this is going to be a quicker finish of Clydeson Rodriguez. But it shows you the level of skill, understanding, talent, execution that Tyra brings to the octagon. I think he shows out here. I think this is another moment where everybody that pays close attention is going to come away and be like, we need to be talking about this dude more. We need to be talking about him more. I think he vaults himself into the top 15 with a victory here, 4-0 in the UFC in a relatively shallow division like flyweight should get you a number next to your name. If it doesn't, it should at least get you facing someone with a number next to your name, next to their name next time out. I think Tyra rolls. I think he shines. I look forward to it bright and early on Saturday. The opener, middleweight division, Cody Brundage versus Cedricus Dumas. My pick here is Brundage. I do not feel good about it. I'm not a Cody Brundage guy. I don't think the fight IQ is there. I don't think the understanding of things is there. I think he's somebody that has reasonable wrestling and a little bit of power. And it's going to be enough to get him through some fights, some moments. We've seen it already, right? Knocked out Delta or caught Delta Lungiambula in a guillotine choke, knocked out Treshawn Gore. But we've seen in the last two, losing to Mihal Oli Shechuk and Rodolfo Vieira, that there's just mistakes. He was in good spots against Vieira and then decided to jump a guillotine and put himself on his back against one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners of his generation and got subbed out for his efforts. I think he can beat Cedricus Dumas. I do think there is some carryover here. Dumas debuted against Josh Fremd. Fremd has worked with the crew from Factory X. In the past, that is where Brundage is. So obviously there's an understanding and some previous knowledge of what Dumas brings to the table. But I do think Dumas is a live dog here. I do think this is one of those dangerous fights where 
60 seconds in, Dumas can hit something big and Brundage goes to sleep and we're out of here. If he is smart, he puts Cedricus Dumas on the ground. He smashes home some elbows, waits till Dumas gives him his back or gives him his neck and gets him out of there. I'm not confident in that selection, but it is my selection. And that is the show. Those are the punch drunk predictions. I will be back a little bit later on in the morning with the betting show. For now, check out the QR code if you're watching on the YouTube. I am pointing up at the QR code if you're just listening. Go to spencerkite.substack.com. Sign up for the Keyboard Kimura newsletter. New content every day, every fight, every event, every Saturday. Sign up for free, sign up for five bucks a month, sign up for 50 bucks for the year. Get yourself some good stuff. If you want to know about these athletes, these opportunities, these fights, I will give you all of that information. Check out the boys at One Bone, at One Bone Brand on Twitter and Instagram. OneBoneBrand.com for all of your terrific fits. Right here, the anniversary Michael. Love it. Love the pattern. Love the style. Love the comfort of these clothes. If you do go through and want to check some stuff out, ESK20 at checkout for 20% off lets you know that you heard about them from me. Those are important things. I want to continue to show them that I am representing and supporting the brand full, full, fully and completely out here on the West Coast. So shout out to Adam and Sam, all the stuff that's going on right now. Big stuff coming. Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill promotional campaign. Another drop next week. The polos came out. It's golf season. Going to wear one on Monday. Let's go. Lastly, at Spencer Kite, Twitter and Instagram. Get everything that I put out. Getting it all up on Instagram as best as I can. It is certainly all on Twitter. You can get all of the information that you need for every event, everything that I do at every outlet there. Thank you for tuning in. I will see you momentarily with The Betting Show. Love you. Talk to you soon. 